Welcome to this episode of Tes Podagogy. My guest today is Jane Oakhill, Professor of Psychology at the University of Sussex. She is one of the world's foremost researchers into comprehension, and that is the topic of today's podcast. Jane, hello. Hello, John. So nice this is uh, yeah, nice to see you as well. And this is a, a big topic at the moment, because mm. in a lot of primary schools, they think they've got decoding down, you know, the, the results for the phonics screening test are very impressive, and then they get hit the age of sort of seven, and suddenly it's comprehension. And uh, one of our writers, who is one of your PhD students, actually, Megan Dixon, is, has written quite a lot for us about the process of teaching comprehension, the, the different techniques in schools, and I think it'd be good for us to explore all of that today. Mm-hmm. As a starting point, when should schools be thinking of comprehension in the terms of it seems to be that quite a lot of schools see it as a two-step process, literacy. is like, we've got decoding down, now we move on to comprehension. Can it really be that, that, that simplistic in, in a two-tier approach, if you like? No, I think uh, it, it can't be that simplistic. Um, and I feel quite strongly about this. I think that uh, schools should be teaching comprehension skills, language skills uh, from the start and it shouldn't be first we do decoding and then we move on to comprehension because one thing that's giving children uh, the wrong idea about reading and I think that is why some do go on to have comprehension problems because they come to believe that reading is about decoding, it's about getting the words right and actually that we know that that is something that poorer comprehenders do believe, whereas better comprehenders believe that it's about, it's really about understanding the text, getting the meaning of the text. So um, that's also combined with the fact that um, we're hearing increasingly that many children come to school with inadequate language skills, inadequate vocabulary. I think it's really crucial that we should be focusing on those language skills, the inference skills, the really thinking deeply about text right from the start. Um, And there is evidence that even preschool children who have those abilities to uh, make inferences, say, from videos or from listening to stories before they can read are the ones who turn out to be better comprehenders later on when they, when they can read. And I've seen some fantastic work done with uh, reception class children in a group, um, most of whom couldn't read a single word, and the teacher had a picture book and was using it uh, in a sort of big book format, uh, talking them through it, reading the text to them, discussing it with them, getting them to make predictions, getting them to engage in the interpretation of that text. And I think that that's, that's what we need, um, preschool if possible, but certainly from the first, first days of, of schooling, not one then the other, both in parallel. Do you think when those early stages of decoding um, a child may well be concentrating on getting those words right, but does the whole process of reading rely on them comprehending at that point what they are decoding in order to enjoy reading and make sense of, of the process? I mean, is it naive to think that all they're concentrating on is getting the word right? Or do you naturally want to know what's going on? Well, I think that children should be encouraged to know what's what's going on. And I think that nowadays, even the books for uh, beginning readers, so the very simplest books, are uh, made interesting for children. So there is 
some intrigue, you know, perhaps some moral to the story that they can, can extract. So if they're just reading the words, they're going, going to miss that. Mm. Do you think that if, uh, if you are hearing a child read in, in reception year, um, I had this with my son and he'd be, he'd be rushing through because he, he said, oh, I know the words. And is that, is that the point where you start asking them questions about what they're, what they're, um, what they're, they're reading about? Or should it be every child has been asked questions about what they're reading about when they're sort of, when he was at the earlier stages, when he was you know, word by word with his finger, mm -hmm. are we still stopping them at that point? So what do you think that, that means by that? And what do you think is happening in this story? I think it could be a combination, not necessarily constantly stopping the child who is struggling to read the words, mm. um, but that could be done sometimes, so they do get the idea that they're supposed to be understanding as well as reading. But I think so much can be done with oral language, and something that I've said a lot to teachers and audiences when I've been talking about this, this topic is that children don't have to be reading in order to uh, learn to understand written text. There's a huge amount that can be done with oral language and some of the best um, instruction in comprehension that I've, I've seen has been in, in classrooms where the teachers encourage, a lot have been phenomenally noisy, <laughs> lots of discussion, you know, targeted discussion, addressing specific questions in groups and then feedback and further discussion in sort of plenary session. Um, so lots and lots of talk and I think that's so important and something that, that's very often uh, missed out. You mentioned and before picture books. Mm. Do you find that a teacher using a picture book is more inclined to go through that process because it's sort of required of them, whereas if you're dealing with a, a textbook, as in a book of text rather than a textbook, yeah. um, they're more inclined just to, to, to go through the process of, of reading, whereas the picture book sort of forces that comprehension teaching. Mm, I don't have any evidence on that, but I would think that, that that's the case, mm. yes. If there's no words to read, then you've got to do something else yeah. to interpret the story, haven't you? Mm. Do you find that children develop a, you know, let's say you have a, a, a cohort of reception children, if we, if we ignore the preschool stage at that point, let's say they come in fresh straight to reception, how, how different will those children be in their sort of natural comprehension ability? I mean, is this something that develops, is, is it a developmental process? Is it something that requires, is, is based on your home life? Is it mm -hmm. just a skill some people have genetically? How, is, how does that process happen? Mm. Um, well, I don't have any data on, on that, but I'm sure there's, there's huge variation in those, those children, particularly their language skills and, and vocabulary. I can't remember the precise numbers, but there's some statistics aren't there on uh, the average vocabulary of a child coming from a middle-class literate home background where they have been read to and the parents are avid readers and a child coming from a less privileged background where parents don't don't read much and don't read to the child and you know it's a, a factor of I've, I've got at least 10 um, so there's going to be huge variation in vocabulary and and in language skills I think shockingly you know even in in the UK um, some children coming to school are not really capable of, of stringing a sentence together whereas others are very competent and I think that is obviously going to feed into their their comprehension skills 
Um, and that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important to get started on language for comprehension as early as possible. But I think all, almost all children are going to benefit to some extent because you're giving them the tools, you know, so even the ones from the more privileged homes and backgrounds, uh, you're giving them tools to think about uh, language and reading, so in a sense metacognitive tools to think about their own understanding so that they can start to reflect on it. Is that process of vocabulary learning? I mean, it was a is a very big topic, obviously, and there's mm. lots of viewpoints on how that vocabulary is is is, is taught, if you like, or or, mm. or the environment in which that vo vocabulary can be learned. Which I think they're two distinct things, probably. Um, what is your view on that? Are we are we providing children with experiences, and through those experiences, uh, the vocabulary is built up? How young is it appropriate to do that? I mean, are we asking preschools to be very much more aware of vocabulary building as, as a, a key role they have. Um, I guess it's two questions really, it's how early should we start that vocabulary building process if we deem it to be deficient in any way? And what is that process of vocabulary building? Okay, um, as early as possible, again, mm. I think we should, we should start, you know, particularly with those children who really need it, uh, trying to help them with their vocabulary, both telling them vocabulary but also helping them to work out word meanings because that's going to be increasingly important once they start to read. So obviously with preschool children, um, when children first start learning to, to talk, um, people are pointing things out for them, telling them what things are called, um, you know, encouraging them to, to use new words. But once children start reading, the evidence is that most of their vocabulary comes through reading, not through being explicitly taught words. Um, and in fact, the, the meta-analyses of vocabulary instruction are not very promising. Um, it, it's really quite hard to teach older children new vocabulary really effectively. And I think that what they, I mean, it, it is possible, but um, the, the transfer effects are not, not great. And I think in, in general, people agree that um, teaching vocabulary explicitly is not the way forward. Um, I think that that what we really need to be doing is helping children to develop their own vocabulary, just as, as we do as skilled readers. So if we come across words, and, and obviously people's, you know, it's, it's the one thing that gets better with age, typically. Um, in terms of cognitive skills, vocabulary. So what skilled readers do is they don't necessarily go to a dictionary unless they're they keep seeing a word and they really don't understand and it's really disrupting their, their understanding. But they might form an impression of what that word means from the context, refine their meaning uh, from the context. I mean, I'm still finding that I come across words and it doesn't quite fit, and I realise yeah. I haven't quite got the right meaning. Yeah, yeah. So I have to adjust it a little bit. 
Um, so I think this is what we need to be teaching children to do, not just to immediately ask or pull out the dictionary, though those might be useful strategies as well, but to try to work out what's, what's going on, which is probably related to their inference skills. If they're good at using context to make inferences about text, then vocabulary learning could be regarded as a type of um, as a product of those inference skills. So is that, it, we're talking about exposure then really to vocabulary rather than an explicit instruction in it in terms of exposure through books or, or play or you know, yep. in, a, in a very high quality UIFS provision providing opportunities where those vocabulary words will come up re repeatedly? Yeah, exposure but also teaching the children to think about what the word might mean in the context. So for example if the teacher knows that a child or children don't know the meaning of a word rather than just telling them, um, I think it would be much more effective to have a discussion about, you know, so what could this be in this context? Perhaps with a small group, you know, has anybody got any ideas about what this word might mean? Why do you think that? Let's, let's go back to the text. Would that meaning fit with the text? If not, why not? So getting them to really think about um, word meanings in an, in an active way, not in a, a, a passive learning definitions way. Are some kids just better at, at, at inference skills naturally, or does that all stem from their, uh, the richness of the environment in terms of vocabulary and, and experiences in the home environment of that sort of process, perhaps much more informally than that, but that, that sort of exposure? I mean, is, is this something that you know, you're born with <laughs> like, that makes it easier for you to infer, have inference skills? Mm. I, I don't know of any evidence uh, that specifically addresses that, but I would certainly think that uh, there's, there's probably an element of both, as there often is, right? So children who are um, born with uh, good, good genes are, are likely to develop those skills or just be, you know, have higher verbal ability. Um, but I think too that an environment where parents or caregivers are getting children to discuss, think about things and argue about topics is going to improve their thinking skills and their inference skills more generally, so beyond text comprehension, but you know, skills for, <laughs> for life really. Yeah. And that takes us sort of quite neatly, I guess, into this, this huge focus at the moment on knowledge and how we can't understand the world unless we have a, a bank of knowledge that is imparted through education. Mm. Is your view that the sort of knowledge-rich curriculum, which is a sequential building of, of, of factual information that is then applied, but you know, based on a, a factual basis, is that enough? Is that is that is that the right approach to comprehension and is it is it achievable that this bank of knowledge is going to give access to a certain percentage of comprehension scenarios if you want to call mm. them that mm. yeah well i think what you just said really encapsulates my my view on that because i think that it's going to be impossible to teach children this huge bank of knowledge that they need to know to tackle 
texts that they might come across. Now clearly, if uh, clearly knowledge is important in, in text comprehension and um, yeah, I would find it, though psychology is a big field, I hope that I would have at least adequate going up to very good understanding of most texts in psychology. But if I tried to read um, a text in uh, quantum mechanics, I would be absolutely flawed. Mm. So my, comp my generic comprehension skills might be quite good, but because I don't have the background knowledge, I don't know what this text is, is on about, I'd, I'd be completely lost. But the way I would think, you know, if I really wanted to know um, a lot about quantum mechanics, um, which I don't, but <laughs> if I did, I think the way I would tackle that would be to find, you know, the dummy's guide to quantum mechanics or some sort of much more elementary text mm. to give me a lead-in to the basic concepts and vocabulary. Um, now, going back to children in, in school, um, I think it's, it's great, yeah, it's, it's a really good idea for teachers to encourage children to activate background knowledge and use that background knowledge in, in their understanding. And I think some children don't. I mean, I've had cases where I've heard children say, oh, am I allowed to use what I know about the world to, to understand this text. Oh, oh, that's all right. So this has been, been a real you know, light switch moment for wow. them. So they think before that it's some sort It's of all that texts are self-contained wow, okay. somehow, yeah. Um, but then, of, so that's, so I think we need to encourage children to use what knowledge they've got. But then, of course, there's the issue of, well, what if they haven't got any knowledge of this topic? Mm. And yes, obviously, if you give them the rudiments, then that, that could be helpful. But my problem with it is, is, as I say, you know, how are we going to do that throughout these children's lives? What about when they leave school and they want to learn something mm. uh, and there's not someone there who's got the, the knowledge base in a package for them? What are they going to do then? So I think, again, a bit like vocabulary, we've got to get children actively engaged in learning from, and, and of course comprehension and learning are very tightly related, um, because most of the knowledge that they gain is not something that people are going to tell them in a preparatory way to read a text. It's knowledge that they're going to glean from the texts. Uh, and of course those texts have to be at an appropriate level, you know, going, going back to the quantum mechanics. Yeah. If you want, you've, got, you've got to find a, a, a sufficiently introductory level text to get them started. Um, but I, I, think, I think we've got to think about, uh, you know, my, my problem with knowledge and vocabulary is where, do these, where does this information come from? Mm. And I think a lot of it has to come from the child themselves using strategies to build that knowledge, to build that vocabulary. So I don't think, I mean, people are, uh, are talking, I think, in, in too dichotomized a way at the moment about, um, well, it's either vocabulary and knowledge, that's really important, or it's, it's strategies for comprehension, that's really important. And I think what we should be looking at, and there isn't the, the research out there as far as I know at the moment, what we should be looking at is how these things can support each other. Because clearly, knowledge knowledge can support inference making. If you don't have the relevant knowledge, you're not going to be able to make uh, useful inferences. 
but but they are we've got evidence that these are independent even if you give children a completely new knowledge base some children still can't make inferences based on a text based on that knowledge base okay. yeah so there's there's independence between but i think what we should be looking at is is how um, the skills and strategies for comprehension can how children can be encouraged to use those to support their vocabulary development, to support their knowledge base, and vice versa, how vocabulary and knowledge can be used to support comprehension and, and inference skills. There's, there's an interest in different types of vocabulary, so not so much um, what people call breadth of vocabulary, which is typically how well you do in a measured in terms of how well you're doing a vocabulary assessment, number of words yeah. that you know something about. But that might be at a pretty superficial level. Mm. So in classic vocabulary assessment like the uh, British Picture Vocabulary Scales, the child just has to match a spoken word with a picture. Mm -hmm. So they can do a lot of this work, work by ruling out some of the other pictures if they know what those are. Um, so that, so that would be breadth of vocabulary, but there's increasing evidence that it's depth of vocabulary, that is not just knowing the meaning of the word, but knowing uh, more about that word, what it associates with, um, what type of thing it is. So that, that rich, what we would call a semantic network, a meaning network of mm. associations is really important uh, for supporting um, inference skills and comprehension more generally. So I think what we should be doing is not saying, oh, it's this children need or it's this children need, and that will get them sorted and improve their comprehension, but rather we should looking, be looking at the interplay of these skills and abilities and doing some more um, experimental work, uh, training studies that look at how these things work together. I think that depth point's really interesting because if I'm reading a piece and it makes a classic, classical illusion, for example, mm -hmm. I know that's a classical illusion because mm -hmm. I know I have a vague working knowledge of a lot of that stuff. I won't necessarily know what that illusion is, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I've heard of the name or, the, or, the, or whatever it is, but I won't necessarily fully understand it. Mm. I think that, that there's where depth comes in, but I think yeah. also you alluded really nicely with your quantum mechanics uh, uh, analogy is that where is engagement and motivation in, in the model mm. in terms of if I am going to make guesses, if I am going to uh, take the time to look up a word or there's something in your brain that says, okay, is this worth, is this mm. worth my while? Yes. And I think maybe with some of the texts for younger children, is that motivational element there if you don't give them a, a sort of external motivation in the sense of, this will get you a, a grade, this will get you a tick or a mm. smiley face from the teacher. Mm. Is that enough of a motivation or do we need some sort of in, intrinsic inf motivation in terms of I just want to be a better reader or I'm genuinely interested in what I'm reading? Mm. I think that probably changes with age, doesn't it? That mm. you know, the, the very young children are happy with the praise or the gold yeah. stars, <laughs> but as they get older and more cynical about uh, these sorts of rewards, um, they're not really going to be motivated to put that effort in mm. unless uh, there is some intrinsic motivation to, to read and to, to learn. Uh, well, I think it's also going to be if they, they want to do well in exams, but if we're just talking about more general 
reading to learn, reading reading for pleasure, as you say. I think if a book's too tough, the topic topic's too tough, there's too much unknown vocabulary or whatever, then the inclination is just to say, well, that's not for me. I'll go and read something that's a bit more yeah. engaging. Um, Do you find that comprehension improves if... if the book is imaginative or creative or if you if it's around a subject obviously if, if it's a subject they're interested in they're going to have more background knowledge which will impact their comprehension mm-hmm. but if if how important is that motivation factor in how good a comprehender a child is in a particular text i don't mean in general mm. but can you see quite <coughs> huge variations in the ability of a single child depending on how bothered they are what the inst- what the motivational factor is how how above or below their reading age the, the text is. Mm. Yes, um, I mean there there is some work on motivation, not not my own work, but showing that that is crucially important in comprehension. But in terms of uh, within a particular child, um, I did some a study a few years ago now, um, looking at it was actually about boys and girls motivation to to read and the way that affected their comprehension and what we found so it was actually two there was something in in the press about the SATs tests that year and people said oh they thought that the that boys performance this was the uh, year six SATs Mm. boys performance had uh, was better than usual that year because the texts were all about spiders and this would be intrinsically interesting and more motivating for boys. So we gave two texts to children who hadn't um, seen them, hadn't done those sats the the following year. Um, We gave them the spiders text and another text that was about children who were evacuated during the Second World War to live with other families. And we asked the children at the start which they thought, we just gave them the titles, which they thought they would rather read. And the vast majority of the boys said they would prefer to read the text about spiders, and the vast majority of the girls uh, said they'd prefer to read the text about the children being evacuated. And what we found was that we then got them to read um, and ask them questions about both those texts, and what we found was that the girls did equally well whatever text we threw at them. So their comprehension level didn't change with the two texts. But the boys, who you remember were more motivated, wanted to read the text about spiders, um, did better, significantly better on the text about spiders than they did on the other texts, which they weren't so motivated to read. So I think um, gender is almost certainly not the only variable that affects children's uh, yeah. motivation, and, and I'm sure that we could you know, find find effects in girls if we found sufficiently motivating or demotivating text. But I think yes, that children reading um, text that they want to find out something from um, is really really important in getting them motivated um, if we, if again we, early on. If we go back then to the fact that, let's say, <coughs> we've got a secure knowledge base like for the, for the reading age and the topic, and we've, we've done some decent work around vocabulary, then we're into sort of skills, if you like, inference skills and more, m- more broadly comprehension skills, I guess. What sort of skills are they? And again, how naturally do they occur? And how easily are they taught? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, to step back a bit from from that, I would say that it shouldn't be a case of you know we've got the vocabulary in place and we've got the knowledge in place because as I say, I think that these are very much interacting mm-hmm. things and the skills will be important in helping the children develop that vocabulary and, and knowledge. But let's say they've got sufficient to understand a particular text so vo- so what you're saying is vocabulary and and knowledge are not at issue for a particular text yeah, yeah. okay so um, the skills that seem to be uh, important and this is from my own work and 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 other work um, the ones that consistently show up are inference abilities so both linking up information in in the text um, and, and that can be quite straightforward to us as skilled readers information, just things like understanding that he refers to somebody who's male in the preceding text and she refers to somebody who's female and this is actually an indication that the text should be linked up. Mm. Um, poor comprehenders don't even do, do the linking at that level sometimes. And um, more global coherence inferences that uh, where the child is putting together the ideas across the text as a whole and, and relating that to relevant background knowledge and there's a lot of evidence uh, there's um, a large uh, meta-analysis published very recently showing that training in inference skills is effective in, tr- in and, and quite short-term training is effective in improving comprehension um, but it does have limited transfer to standardised assessments of comprehension. Okay. Uh, whether this is because the training isn't sufficiently long and rigorous, we, we, d- we don't know. But um, So the first area is inference skills. Um, another area that I've touched on is um, metacognitive understanding. And these are not entirely independent. So a metacognitive uh, understanding would be the ability to reflect on your own understanding. So it's a meta-level understanding. So So knowing you don't get it. Knowing you don't, yes. And not just knowing that you don't get it, but knowing that, uh, knowing what to do if you don't get it. Okay, so that might be, and I think we, we all do this, we'll have a sort of lapse of attention, particularly if it's something we don't particularly want to read but have to read. Um, start making a shopping list, and we realise that actually we haven't been taking in this text, and we'll pretty much know where we have to get, where where our attention lapsed, lapsed, where we have to go back to to correct that lapse and make sure we've got the meaning of, of the last few lines, last page, or whatever. So that ability to reflect on your own understanding and of course that might include uh, realising that uh, you need to make an inference Mm. that something's happened in the text that doesn't quite connect up and so you need to actively uh, think about how you might make that connect up. So some inferences can be quite deliberate, strategic, a lot of inference making in skilled readers just happens automatically, Automatically. we don't really realise that it's it's going on. It strikes me that the inference skills might be more easily taught and modelled than the metacognitive skills. Would that be correct or wildly, wildly wrong? Um, no, I think they can both be taught fairly effectively um, because with metacognitive skills, you know, you can 
present children with texts that do have problems in them and get them to reflect on what's wrong with the text, what they could do to and make the text more coherent, a better text yeah, and I so see. on. So I don't think it's necessarily, it sounds a bit more abstract perhaps, but I don't think it's necessarily harder to teach. So you very explicitly model that mm. metacognitive Yes, and I think, I think teacher modelling is, is very, very important in this sort of teaching. So the teacher saying, you know, oh, well, I don't quite get how these things work together. And inviting you know, the children, what, what do you think about you know, why such and such a character did this? Um, getting the children to reflect on understanding and to make inferences, but modelling it for them. Um, another thing that's important is using text structure, um, particularly you know, expository texts, um, how tend to have lots of headings and subheadings, and, and knowing what the purpose of those is, mm. that this is going to give you a few clues to what what might be coming in the next paragraph. It's interesting you say that, actually. I was reading with my son last night, and he wasn't reading any of the headings. No. And I, no. I, I was wondering, I wonder why he's not, mm. because I didn't really go into it. I probably, now I definitely should have done and said <laughs> this, but at the time I thought it was a very odd thing to just skip those as if they're not part of the text. No, because they actually give you some pointers mm. as to where this text is going, what you can expect to get out of that bit. And actually, um, yeah, a, a, a very well-renowned professor of developmental psychology, and, um, an American, told me a few years ago that even when he was at university, um, he used to think that subheadings and headings in text were just a bit of a waste of time. He didn't bother with those. You just get to the, the essence. Yeah, yeah. And it took him a while to realise that actually these were pretty useful in organising his understanding of the text, that they were pointers. Um, so that can be done, you know, getting children to, you know, again, it doesn't have to be reading, getting children to organise pictures into um, a causally coherent sequence, thinking about the order of events in a text, um, what might be a good title for a text and why. Mm. Um, all these things can, and can help them think about the structure, think about the structure of paragraphs. You know, what's the point? What, what, what's the author trying to say in this paragraph? How would you sum that up in one sentence? Um, Do we have to think of it as not like decoding where we're sort of tick, we've done decoding, let's move on, comprehension, tick, we've done comprehension. Because in, in my experience, I'm never done with comprehension. No. <laughs> you know, no. <laughs> I'm still coming across now stuff now where I have to look it up or I don't quite understand. And, mm -hmm. and from the other perspective, as a, as a journalist writing, it's very, very hard to write something that doesn't have, that is completely clean and singular in terms of its interpretation mm -hmm. and its possible interpretation. Mm -hmm. Uh, not necessarily factually, but definitely in terms of inference and meaning and mm -hmm. you know, what are they in, what are they trying to say. And I guess a lot of the problems teachers have in, in, in schools is, especially older, may, maybe not so much a primary school because they tend to be a bit wilder, is interpretations that may not be on the specs of the exam paper, mm -hmm. but, that are, but that are still valid mm -hmm. in terms of what is, what, what is written. How, as a teacher, do you deal with that problem of, of where uh, an interpretation might, might be very different to what you expect yourself or the vast majority of people would have, would have accepted, but that is still valid. Mm. Well, I haven't worked with, or haven't worked much with secondary level children, but I think you know, even at the end of primary school, children are having to get to grips with these ideas of interpretation of, of meaning in text. Um, and on, on 
one end of the spectrum, you know, there's the constructionists who would say, well, any meaning goes, and nobody has the same interpretation of a text. Nobody has, comes away with the same representation. And I think, yeah, to some extent that's true, that if, if you and I read a novel, we will remember slightly different things. It will, it will trigger those different sorts of emotional responses in us based on, on what we know about the sort of situations. Um, and we will have slightly different interpretations, uh, representations of that novel. But there must be an awful lot in common Mm. Um, in our understanding. Otherwise, people would never be able to talk about uh, yeah. novels that they've read yeah. and actually make sense to each other. Um, so I think, yeah, clearly there is room for interpretation. And I guess what I would say is if a child has some uh, interpretation that's not what a teacher expects, take them back to the text and ask them, well, how do you justify that in relation, why do you think that based on what's in the text? Why are you coming to that conclusion? Because I've seen an awful lot of teachers, and, and poor comprehenders do, not to a phenomenal extent, but poor comprehenders do tend to sometimes um, confabulate a bit, mm. and go beyond the text, make uh, elaborative inferences that are not fully justified by the text. And I've also seen teachers respond to those sorts of inferences by saying to the child, oh, that's a really interesting idea. Um, I think what they should be doing is not allowing the child to think that anything goes, but taking the child back to the text and saying, okay, why do you think that? What in the text led you to think that? And if they can't justify their interpretation in relation to the text, then... I think they have to be gently told that that's not really um, a good interpretation. So I think we have to have some flexibility, but I think it should always, you know, it should always be the case of getting the child to justify their interpretations and, and talking to them about those. I think that takes us to the sort of last area we're going to discuss, which is children who struggle with comprehension. And I guess the first stage of that is an identification process. Mm. How early can we spot? spot those children or you know, maybe even before that what are the risk factors then how do we spot if those risk factors come to fruition or whether someone who doesn't necessarily have those risk factors does struggle with comprehension mm. what sort of age are we thinking about what sort of indicators should we be looking at mm. I think probably earlier than than we are so I think with um, suitable tools you know oral language um, discussion teachers could start identifying children um, really as soon as they start school if, if children aren't able to interpret simple stories, um, understand, connect up ideas. Um, and I think it's an issue that there aren't any, uh, unlike with dyslexia, word decoding problems, um, with comprehension there aren't any um, standard early indicators of children who might have these difficulties. Obviously there are um, indicators of children, you know, children with speech and language disorders are picked up early on but we're not talking about anything uh, that's extreme or apparent and most of the children um, with comprehension problems, say bearing in mind what I said about some children 
coming to school with very poor language. They haven't necessarily got speech and language disorders, but they might have poor language, uh, and that might be a be a flag. But most of the children who have comprehension problems um, that are identified later on are perfectly good at holding everyday conversations. They're perfectly good communicators. It's the, it's the text language that they're not getting. So they can have interactions with someone face to face because of course those are very different to understanding a disembodied text. You've mm. got the contextual cues, the the nodding of somebody who's <laughs> understanding or the frowning if they're yeah, not yeah. or whatever. And next, did these children tend to be good decoders or? Many of them are, are, are good decoders, yes. So a, a general problem is that teachers very often don't identify children with comprehension problems because um, they are, they're good at decoding, they're diligent children, which is probably why they've learned to decode, mm. um, and they get on with their schoolwork. Um, and so it might not be until the sort of late primary school when children are, uh, there's more pressure on reading to learn, interpretation of texts, that these children who are having difficulties um, become apparent. And I think we really need to be trying to identify them much, much earlier so that we can encourage, develop their comprehension skills from the start. Some people would say now, oh, what they're lacking is the knowledge and vocabulary section. If we fix that, everything will be sorted. Is that correct? Where, where do those comprehension I mean? Obviously, that well, might be a, a certain a number of those children, but I'm guessing it wouldn't be all of those children. Well, as I said, I'm not sure how you can fix yeah. knowledge and vocabulary because teaching teaching vocabulary is uh, you know, not not the evidence is not there that just trying to teach children the word meanings is an effective strategy. Mm. Um, so I think that might be you know, that there's one factor that if if you um, encourage knowledge development and vocabulary development, it might help them a bit, but I think they've also got to have these these strategies for comprehension in, in place as well to, to accompany and, and reinforce that knowledge base. So reteaching some of that stuff that you might have covered at the age of seven, but by the age of nine, they, they're just not getting it, perhaps, and not being afraid to reteach those strategies mm. and reinforce those strategies. Yes, because there is this idea that... Um, that teaching strategies is a sort of short-term, one-off thing. Um, sh you don't need much teaching to improve children's inference-making. But I don't think pe people... I think pe what's missing there is that people haven't looked at what happens after a year or so. Do these children... Are they still using these inference skills? Mm -hmm. are, they, are they applying them to different contexts where they need to? Um, so... I think we need, you know, again, more research to, to look at the, the longer-term impacts and needs uh, there. I, mean, I find it interesting as well what you said about that these children tend to be quite okay in a face-to-face -face, mm. uh, conversation but struggle with the text. And if you think about the differences between the two, is there, I don't know if any research has been doing this or this is just wild conjecture on my part, but is there something about the way information is processed in terms of if we're having a face-to-face discussion, we have so many different sensory inputs mm. that are contributing to our comprehension ability. Yeah. And you strip them away into the <laughs> in, in, in the text. I mean, has much work been done around that? Well, um, not, not as far as I know experimental work, but there's lots of, of um, 
known differences between oral communication in conversation and text. Um, one, as you just, just mentioned, in oral communication, you're getting that, that feedback and if someone sees that you obviously don't don't understand something, they might explain it in a different way, tell you something in a different way, or you've got the opportunity to, to ask. Mm. Um, and typically you can't interrogate a text in that way. But te written text and, and also, of course, written text writ that's read out loud um, so people talk about listening comprehension being being impaired in poor comprehension, and it, it is. But what they mean by that is not, you know, someone listening to a uh, participating in a conversation as a listener. They mean children listening to text that's designed to be written text. Mm. Yeah. Um, so written text is really a different genre to spoken language. You know, it's it's got longer, more complicated sentences. Um, and it's got typically more complicated vocabulary. So people having a, uh, having an everyday conversation um, don't don't use, well, typically don't talk in proper sentences yeah. <laughs> for a start, <laughs> and don't use that more obscure esoteric vocabulary um, because it just doesn't seem that's not the way that you you have a chat with with people. And there's this sort of slightly derogatory term in, in English and they, he, he talks like a book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Someone who does use that really complicated sentence structure and does use the sort of vocabulary that you wouldn't expect in a conversation. Um, so I think that's that, that text has a lot of demands that just aren't for various reasons that just aren't there in oral communication. Should we then drop that child down reading aid? Do, do the reading ages correspond that well to the comprehension sort of ages as well? Or is that just so demotivating for a child to have to, to, have to do that, that we need to find that, as you say, these reteaching strategies, these revisiting of inference skills is a much kinder, <laughs> perhaps, or motivating mm. way of dealing with that problem? Yeah, I think it's 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 difficult, but dropping it's. I mean, as far as I know, there aren't books that are designed to. Um, we've done some experimental work on, on that, but um, I don't think anything has been produced that, that's available to schools. So, what I'm thinking of are books that are not, in a sense, um, easier to read in, in the way that the words are mm. simpler to decode but ones that are easier to read because they're not quite so inference-demanding, say. Mm. They have shorter sentences. Um, so I think that's something that, that hasn't been done, but that, that could well be considered Sounds like it for, might be for poorer comprehenders yeah, so that they can get the idea still of making, making inferences, um, but not such demanding ones. Mm. And, not and not so many of them in, in one text. And if, um, if teachers want to, to read more up on this topic, where would your first point of call be? I mean, if, if, if they've read what TES produces and they want to take their knowledge to the next level, does, does your, uh, do you and, and your team put out regular like, publications? What books might, might be useful for them? Oh well. Um, you can say your own book. I'm, I'm perfectly <laughs> bit of self publicity. Yeah, you can do yes. self publicity, publicity definitely. Yeah. So uh, 
Kate Kane and Carson Elbro and, and I wrote, um, published a book a few years ago, which is um, designed to really help teachers understand what comprehension is about. Um, so it gives a brief summary of the research, but it also provides lots of activities, not to do with children, but to get the reader to think about, in a very metacognitive way, what they're doing as they're understanding. Um, and the, the book's called Understanding and Teaching Reading Comprehension. Um, and I think it's so important that, because as, as we discussed earlier, uh, skilled readers just make lots of inferences automatically. They don't think about what they're doing. But if children are going to get better at this, they need an explicit understanding, they need explicit modelling and teaching of, of what a skilled reader should be doing. So I think it's really important for teachers to understand what's going on in their own heads as they're understanding in a much more explicit way. There's also a very nice book um, by, uh, that was published about the same time by um, Morag Stewart and Rona Stainthorpe that uh, is, is a bit broader. It's not just about comprehension, but there's a lot on comprehension, but it also talks about uh, phonics skills and teaching word reading, decoding. I would expect a cut of both ups, uptick in sales for both of those books. <laughs> no, thank you very much, Jane. That's been a, a, a fascinating interview, and I think teachers will get a lot out of it. Thank you.